Welcome to a new edition of the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino. On this episode, we talk with teacher, anthropologist, and author, Dr. Leanna Wolf. Her sex research was spirited by coming of age in the thick of the 1970s sexual revolution and feminist movement in the San Francisco Bay Area. Her curiosities and academic appetites led her to engage in field research in Mexico, Africa, India, and Papua New Guinea, earning an MA in anthropology from the New School for Social Research and a PhD in sexology for advanced study of human sexuality. From 1980 to 2018, she worked as a university professor teaching and researching topics. In 2016, she launched Wise Women's Sex and Relationship Consulting, providing counseling through her unique lens of sexual anthropology. She's got a great story. Enjoy. Hey, it's great to meet you. You too. Thanks for taking a minute out today. Thank you for including me in your adventures. Yeah, I love There you go. That's a good way of putting it. It's all adventure. Where are you located? I'm in Los Angeles. Wonderful. Yeah, and land you are two hours ahead. So you must be like in Chicago or something. Kansas City, Missouri. Kansas City, Missouri. Okay. Yeah. Have you ever been here? Probably, but I don't remember. <laughs> okay, good. I like that answer. Well, hey, thank you for taking a minute out. I'm looking forward to delving into your very interesting life as an author. And I want to begin our conversation with probably one of the most interesting things that we've all lived through in our lifetime, which was the last three and a half years of this pandemic. How did you get through it and how did it change you? Oh, good question. <laughs> well, I began the pandemic by um, breaking my elbow while walking my dog. It was on March 6th. Oh, no. And so I was suddenly in a hospital waiting for um, elbow repair surgery. And Nobody who knew me wanted to help me afterwards because they all feared that because I'd been in the hospital, I had the virus. <laughs> <laughs> so a couple people brought dropped bagels or something at the gate and wouldn't deal with me at all. And but I was fortunate to have some roommates who um, helped me out and cook for me because I couldn't cook. <laughs> and um, then eventually you know, after a little while I healed. And then that led me to realize I had this book on the um, back burner of my laptop and I'd been putting it off for years. And once I watched all the Netflix I could, I said, you know, it's time to finish the book. <laughs> and so I probably, and it was like, a book where certain chapters were really in place and they, you know, were good, but there were these other chapters that I'd been procrastinating on forever and I had to do them. And there was, and life was so boring that I just actually did them. And, <laughs> and no, then, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, it was a journey to find a publisher because I know I'm a good writer and there was no reason I should self-publish, but um, it was very tricky because so many agents were difficult to access and publishing houses were kind of dormant. And I actually found my publisher through a virus. So uh, there was already the coronavirus that caused me to finish the book. And then there was a a, some kind of Dropbox internet virus that sent out emails to all these people I'd never hadn't been in touch with for years. And 
one of them wrote back and said, well, should I open this? And I said, no. And then um, I, um, she said, well, what are you up to? And I says, well, I'm looking for a publisher. And she says, well, you know, we have this mutual friend and she just got this deal with Roman and Littlefield and I think your book would fit. And so I got in touch with our mutual friend and she um, loved the book and ultimately took it to Roman and Littlefield, ultimately became the content editor and we deepened our friendship and now we have a book. So talk to me a little bit about what the book's about. Okay, well, the book is about my journey as a sex researcher. And this is in the broadest sense of sex research. So I actually, some of the earliest things I recall are coming, of being a young, a, a, a kid um, in the um, late 1960s in the Bay Area. Um trying to make sense of what sex was yeah, and, you know, being shy. And I mostly just watched. And then at some point I discovered that there was some interesting sex information in the library, of course, in a circuitous way, because I discovered the ethnographies of Oscar Lewis, who did anthropology research in Mexican villages. And so I would like sneak into the stacks and read the stuff he was reporting on about Mexican village women. And somehow this satisfied me. And then um, eventually sex research takes on what we anthropologists call participant observation, where we're, um, joining a culture as best as we can to both um, observe it as well as engage it. And so as a, a young um, woman, I um, started having sex and I recalled so much of it because I kept journals of every little detail. And there's um, one of the earliest um, journals was um, from going on a bus trip to visit colleges like I don't know if you have kids but yeah. parents um these days if their kids are invited to check, interview at a college they usually fly out or drive out with them yeah. my parents were completely non-helicopter parents they um put me on a bus and so I took this bus out to visit colleges. And one of the colleges I was um, going to visit was UC Santa Barbara, because I'd been in, invited to, you know, I'd applied and accepted, and I wasn't sure if I wanted to go there or not. So on the bus, I meet some um, student from there. And she said, yeah, here, she scrawled her address on a piece of paper and said, yeah, come, you can stay with me when you get there. So I get there and I cannot figure out where she lives. Um, there's no cell phones. There's no Facebook. Yeah. There's like, um, how do you find this address? I'd wandered around in circles a bit and couldn't figure it out. And who knows? And we had obviously no friends in common. So the next thing I do is wander down to the beach and 
I'm sitting on the beach and I have my little backpack and my sleeping bag. And I, and I'd done a fair amount of backpacking at that point. I'm like all of 18 years old and maybe 17. I don't really remember. And so, um, I'm on the beach and I'm just about ready to burst into tears because I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, and then this hippie comes up to me. He has like long blonde hair, blue eyes, and has a little kid in tow. And he asks me what's going on. And I says, well, I can't find this girl and I don't know where I'm going to stay tonight. And he wipes off my tears and and says, you know, you'll be okay. Come with me. And so we leave the beach and go and some other friend of his meets us and we have falafel at a little restaurant. And then he's clearly not a student. And he takes me to where he lives, which is an old red barn. And yeah. all of us climb into the barn. And <laughs> then eventually his um, woman friend leaves. His kid falls asleep and he... And I like take out my sleeping bag and unroll it somewhere. And then he calls me over and says, hey, you know, come over here. And I says, no, I'm okay. And then he comes over to me and he's stripped. And I'd never seen an erect penis before in my life. And then he starts like stroking my hair and nibbling on my ears. And I'm like, like never felt these sensations before. I'm both terrified and excited. And eventually I just say, Hey, you know, I'm a virgin. You got to leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> so he eventually leaves me alone and I keep the hiking boots on inside the sleeping bag and try to keep myself awake all night to protect my virginity. Yeah. And then the next morning I take the bus home and never tell my parents a word of it. Wow. Wow. That's wild. So let me ask you a question. Obviously you're writing now you've had a, a career in anthropology. You've had a very interesting life. What did you want to be when you were a kid? What was your dream to grow up and become? I wanted to be an astronaut. There you go. <laughs> yeah. I wanted, I basically, I wanted to, explore everything and yeah. as far as i was concerned the universe was my was where i wanted to go so as a little kid i used to draw stages of rockets yeah interesting so let me ask you this take me back to where you were born and raised and what were these seeds that made you want to explore both anthropology and 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 sexuality and all of these things that have been your curiosities and your passion. Mm. So I was born in Palo Alto, um, suburb of San Francisco, where Stanford yeah. University is, and now the home of Google and Facebook, and where Hewlett Packard launched in a garage. My yeah. dad was an engineer, and um, my parents were um, pretty adventurous. And my dad, when he was a teen, became a radio officer on a ship and began to explore the world from the base of New York City and traveling all kinds of places. My mom, when she was maybe 20 or 21, she and her best friend took a, a cross-country trip where they bought train tickets and brought their bikes and took all these stops along the 
way and visited all these places. And it was like this little window between um, World War Two and um, the or like it was like I think the window was between the Depression and World War Two. So it was like a, a time of hope. And yeah. she and her girlfriend just went everywhere. And they were just curious and welcome and newspaper articles were written about them. And so those were my parents. That's awesome. So they were, um, you know, and they took us to the love-ins and the be-ins and all the stuff that was emerging in the 1960s in the Bay Area. Wow. So who's been a hero for you in your life? Well, um, I loved the stories about Margaret Mead. That, you know, she was a 20-something a gal who found her way to the South Pacific and lived amongst um, unique cultures and reported back to the Western world on how um, sophisticated their um, behaviors were relative to um, sort of the Protestant um, Catholic kinds of ways of America with all this prudishness and I loved stories like that. So if you can meet one person alive on the planet right now that you find fascinating, who would it be? Who would you love to meet and talk to? Hmm. Well, I, I really like Michelle Obama's stories. Yeah. <laughs> I just think she's a, a mover and a shaker and a, Oh, just an, an, just, um, an expansive woman who's just on a path of education and leadership. And I'm quite taken with what she's been up to. That's the number one answer. It's always Michelle Obama. You're kidding. Oh, yeah. Oh, my oh, God. It was so weird. Yeah. Because I just the other day I thought I saw something about how she should be drafted as the next Democratic candidate for president. She'd win by a landslide. She would. She would. Easily. Yeah, because um, there's just so, I mean, she's younger and vibrant and informed and yeah. brilliant. And yeah. we're ready for a woman. And apparently Kamala Harris isn't the woman. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, good way of putting it. So in this life of exploring between anthropology and, and sexuality, what are the big revelations that you've discovered as someone that's clearly been curious, clearly been in academia and lived in the real world with this? What have been the big realizations at this point in your life? Well, that there are many ways to negotiate a body, uh, energy and a life. And, you know, I questioned early on why um, there was monogamy. And what was the point of monogamy and what were the benefits as well as the limitations? And, you know, as a species, we're non-monogamous. We're attracted to multiple partners. But our, we have religious and cultural dictates that cause many people to think that that's not natural for us to be attracted to other people. And they struggle with it. They um, have affairs. They feel guilty they you know get have multiple divorces and remarriages and and just and are never happy 
with um, who they are because of how they think. And also just that sexual energy can be engaged in so many ways. Like we um, have these relatively limited and standard ideas about um, sexual intercourse and that somehow penal vaginal intercourse is what um, works as a way to access pleasure, orgasm, connection, whatever. And, you know, if we look in terms of other cultures, in terms of history, in terms of our body potentials, there's so much more that one can do with the body. Yeah. I think that's the common misperception too, especially that's propagated by popular media. Like males just don't understand, I think, overwhelmingly how things work with women you know and i guess that's my question how is it that it's one of these things that we all want so badly whether it's love or sex and we're all historically so bad at it until we really care enough to get better yeah well one of the things that's pretty intriguing is is that there are cultures here in our world where the elders train the adolescents in what's possible in their bodies. And it's not seen as abuse the way we would. Um, it's seen as important education, just the way, you know, we toilet train our children, just the way we have directives and how to manage um, diet and exercise and everything else to have vital bodies. There's um, information that is given physically to young people on how their bodies work. And that's, you know, there's cultures in the South Pacific where um, women are a hundred percent orgasmic because the men are trained in how to engage them. Yeah. And there's no woman who shouldn't be a hundred percent orgasmic, but we have so obfuscated this that it um, becomes a endless conundrum. Cause I remember like when I was in these women's consciousness, consciousness raising groups in my um, late teens and early twenties in um, the Bay area, um, there, our big question was, well, how can you have an orgasm through intercourse? Because somehow the way that it, we were experiencing intercourse and how our um, partners engaged us was leading to nothing. Yeah. So let me ask you this. At this point in your life, if you were to have a dream tonight, you ran into that 20-year-old, young 20-year-old version of yourself. And based on the wisdom that you've gained in your life up to this point, if you could give that young version a piece of advice based on the life you've lived, what advice would you give your young self? Well, um, <laughs> basically, um, be a better communicator. I was horrible and I didn't know otherwise. I, um, and some of it was being an anthropologist or having an anthropological sort of mode of engaging the world where I felt that I should sort of just be a spectator observer and see what happened and kind of play along with it. And I had no capacity to speak up for myself and say, hey, that's not working. Why don't we try this? How about um, trying that? You know, 
what you know what really works for you i was just, i didn't know anything about asking about reflecting about sharing about, you know i was just sort of um an experience with um no committee to talk yeah or the most i would do is moan a little or fake an orgasm or whatever i thought was you know acceptable because you know some of what drove me and drives many young people is to young women especially is to have a partner so yeah. i didn't want to be trouble i just wanted to you know present as if they it was working because i wanted a boyfriend yeah. i you know that was a higher priority than to be satisfied by a boyfriend so what's been one of the best fan letters you've gotten from your book Oh, the book just came out. Oh, it did. Okay, I didn't know. Oh, it's it just been, been out a couple of weeks. Okay, um, all right, cool. So, um, you know, I got great pre-publication um, reviews, and I could um, tell read a review or two to you if sure. that. Yeah, let me yeah, go yeah, grab yeah, the read, book and yeah. read a review. Absolutely. My first favorite review was from Bill Jankowiak, who um, is a professor of anthropology at the University of Nevada in Las Vegas. And he wrote, a delightful romp with sensitivity and insight with an anthropologist answer to Anais Nin, Dorothy Parker, and other female challengers to the social conventions of their times. Interesting. That's great. And um, and this this one is by um, Chris Donahue, who's a a sex um, couples therapist and has a quite a big media presence. He wrote, um, "Wolf has gifted us with a heartfelt and powerfully candid deep dive into her journey around the world and through her remarkable life. It's a bold and unpredictable tribute to radical truth and adventure." weaving threads of memoir, sexological research, and sexual revolution. This book's brazen honesty will inspire you to also live in an extraordinary way. I love it. So let me ask you this. What, you've been all over the world. What, what place on earth did you feel the most comfortable, whether it was as a person or with the sexual norms that they adhered to? What was the best place? Well, it's it's such a tricky thing to consider that because I was a different person everywhere I was. Yeah. And a lot of it was age-based. And so in my very early 20s, I set off to rectify the limitations of um, the stridency of feminism in Berkeley because there was like this whole diatribe about the myth of the vaginal orgasm, which was something, you know, Freud said all this stuff about clitoral orgasms are for adolescence and a mature married woman has vaginal orgasms. And, mm -hmm. and the feminist said, this is all BS. And that um, the only way a woman can orgasm is through direct clitoral stimulation. And so I just didn't, you know, like, and it was so interesting because, you know, you might have heard of the height report that came out in the yeah. 70s and she was 
claiming that 70% of women did not orgasm through intercourse. I just recently talked to someone who talked to her about how she came up with her statistics. You know, she sent out 100,000 surveys and got 3,000 back. That's a 3% return. Oh, that was like based on three um, folks who were very opinionated about this and were driven to answer her questions and the way she asked them. And then she crunched her data based on just receiving 1,800 surveys. And it really begs what, you know, how much agenda was going on yeah. with this yeah. versus is this at all true? Yeah. That's interesting. So what of all the things you've done in your life, overcome, evolved into, what are you the proudest of? Wow. You know, some of it is physical challenges. It's so crazy. Last year, I um, hiked the Camino de Santiago, uh, an eight-day trek from Sarias to Santiago. And I was so proud of myself that at yeah. 70, I pulled this off and that, you know, I, you know, basically, you know, did upwards of 40,000 steps a day and achieved it. Yeah. And so, and then we did some more trekking in Japan and we did a bicycle ride across an Onomishi across three different um, bridges and four different islands. And it was just so strenuous and amazing, and we made we made it. Yeah, I mean, certainly, I'm so proud that I did a doctoral dissertation on polyamory and jealousy, and it got a tremendous amount of play. And then, just you know, in launching this book, I created a solo show by the same name, and. I was initially going to do the solo show before the pandemic because I was so procrastinated on finishing the book. I said, oh, maybe just a show and that'll be it. But I, it's not like I had a major theater background. I'd basically been a professor of anthropology. I mean, my classes were fun and my student, I would always get my students to laugh a bit and, and answer provocative questions, but, um, or in, engage provocative discussion but i had never really done that kind of acting i as a kid i was in some children's theater but i just took the jump and created with some assistance um a show based on my book pulling out maybe a tenth of the material in the book yeah. and we just did this show i guess two weeks ago and for at this thing called Solo Fest here in Los Angeles. And it, and I completely sold out. I had wow. no idea I'd be able to do that. And we got rave reviews. And I was just like, I couldn't believe that I could actually, you know, pursue this as an actor, as in beyond being an author. And so I'm, engaged in what's called the Hollywood Fridge Festival in June and going to do more performances. And then a bunch of academic conferences have invited me to do a version of the show as a uh, conference presentation. 
So I'm really excited about doing that. That's excellent. And I'm going to do another stretch of the Camino in May. <laughs> right on. So let's get to the good business here. Where can everybody get the book? Learn more about you. Reach out. Anything about your world? Where can they go? Okay. Well, the book is available all over the internet. And it's called 177 Lovers and Counting. My Life as a Sex Researcher. And if you're an anthropology student, you may be fortunate enough to be assigned this book in a class this spring or next fall or next year. Um, it is actually a textbook, though it's so much more fun than most textbooks. It has like a dissertation's worth of contextual information, but it also has my whole story, this story of... Um, emerging in the 1960s and playing out a full life, doing everything from studying the transition from um, arranged marriage to love marriage in India, to studying traditional polygamy in East Africa and Papua New Guinea, to um, doing um, work for the Ashley Madison website, which enables married folks to um, cheat with other married folks and how they, what they hired me to do and how that all played out. So it's a big bunch of sexual adventures and it also engages the Me Too movement and um, the rape that I um, suffered in when I was traveling in Mexico in my twenties and how I ultimately rectified that by doing um, some pretty cool research on changing perspectives on sexual assault um, beginning in 2016. Wonderful. This has been fascinating. Thank you for your story. Thank you for your time. Best You're of luck so with welcome. the book. And yet have a great, we're kind of in the new year. Have a great 2024. You too. Okay, Thank you. thanks so much. Thanks for tuning in to another famous interview with Joe Domino, where we cover the world of art, literature, business, spirituality, music, and more from around the globe. Our esteemed theme music was composed and produced by the great E.E. E. Pointer of Kansas City's River Cow Orchestra. If you want to hear more interviews, visit the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino channel on YouTube. You can also find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and until next time. Hey.